Hello, and uh, welcome once again. As we continue on in the study that we're doing in the New Testament, we're working through it a chapter at a time. We are in uh, the book of Mark, and in particular, we're in chapter 11 today, and and, uh, we've been going through this gospel um, one chapter at a time. Today, um, uh, tonight's study will sort of uh, mark a, a shift in the process because we are going to enter into the final week of the ministry of Jesus uh, while he was here the first time uh, in, in, uh, uh, in, while he was with us. So um, uh, things are going to happen um, over the next week that are very important and uh, in, in the week of his life. It's going to take us six more weeks. But uh, we're going to see a lot of things that take place. But, but this is sort of the beginning chapter that works towards the crucifixion and all that uh, comes in it. And, and these next three chapters that we're going to read are really pretty interesting in, um, in their importance. Um, uh, chapter 11 sort of uh, gives us a, a more even clearer picture of the mission of the Messiah. In, in chapter 12, we'll, we'll look again at the futility of the religion of the Pharisees. And uh, it's contrasted in that chapter with a living faith in God, which we've been talking about all along. And uh, chapter 13 um, gives us a prophetic look at uh, the end of the age. And so um, these, that's what's happening in the next few chapters. Remember, we've been working towards this point, and, and Mark has led us through the ministry of Jesus um, in, in, uh, in really pretty short order. We've, we've sort of, uh, you know, in this gospel now, we've been through that's three years of ministry for Jesus um, that, that we've sort of been through. Although Mark didn't start us at the very beginning, he sort of just put us, put us right into the heart of the ministry and, and we looked at almost immediately the, the uh, power ministry of Jesus. And Mark did that on purpose. I keep bringing this up, but you need to know it because he was writing to the Romans. The Romans were very interested in power and authority, and Mark knew his audience, and so he wrote to get to them the gospel in a way that they would be able to receive it. And this would have been how, how, what interested them. Um, where in Matthew we saw uh, more of a focus on the teaching of Jesus uh, Mark uh, sort of started out with the, min- the, the ministry side of Jesus, uh, you know, the miracle side of Jesus, the power side of Jesus. And then we've been seeing the teaching evolve through the chapters, although not nearly as much as we did in Matthew, but we're getting the same message in smaller doses. You know, Matthew really started with a big chunk of teaching, three chapters that we call uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus really came and sort of said, you know, the words where you have heard it said, but I say to you, and he undid the teaching uh, of the Pharisees. He turned it completely upside down. And this impact, impacted everybody, including the disciples. And he's done the same thing. He's come in, in these Gospels to introduce the kingdom of God. You need to know that the kingdom of God is here. And in so doing, he said that, that um, what, you've, what you've sort of been under now uh, in, in the religious teaching has kept you from God and that wasn't the point. And, and Jesus came to make sure everybody understood that what God wants is a relationship, a living relationship based on faith and grace, not a, a dead relationship based on works and rituals. And that's what it had become. Now, I know I've said this a lot, but I want to keep saying it because, uh, again, we're going to be talking about the Pharisees. Why it's so important that we bring them up is that... that you know, we can't just write them off as evil. They had just lost the grace of God. 
but they'd started with a good mission. Their mission was to protect Judaism a couple hundred years before from the influences of the Greek society. Uh, and, and so they had gotten together and they had uh, started with good uh, purpose. But the way they ended up trying to protect it was by keep adding more rules to the top ten. And by the time Jesus comes now, we've got hundreds of rules that no one can keep. And, and they've, they've decided that the, all these rules are the standard uh, of God and that if you can just follow these rules then, that you and God are okay. And they've completely lost the heart of God and, and the relationship part and the grace part and the mercy part to the point where uh, people can't get to God anymore and the, the ones who are supposed to be in charge are, are um, basically abusing those who would try and come to God. And it's all about their own purposes now. And they, they're able to justify it because they are holding to all these rules that they put in place. But they've added all sorts of rules to allow them to get away with all sorts of things. And we've seen that the heart is no longer right. And that's what Jesus has come to address is this problem of the heart. And we've seen over and over again how um, because we live in a fallen world and because of sin, all of us have a tendency to become hard-hearted. And even the disciples dealt with this hard-heartedness. Now they had, uh, and the only, uh, the only thing that can fix that is faith. Nothing else fixes it. And in fact, religious stuff, rules and rituals, just makes it harder. It doesn't soften it, it hardens it. And that's what was taking place. So all of that is what's been happening then in uh, the book of Mark to this point. So let's get into Mark chapter 11 today, just 33 verses. Um, you can follow along in your Bibles if you want. You can read along in your notes. You can just sit back and listen to me read. I don't know if there's any other options. <laughs> and if there is, I really don't want to know. Okay. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go on to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're doing this, tell him the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to the people, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they'd cut in the field. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it is already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. 
And the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Okay, so, I, I, you know, I don't like to digress in the middle of this because we're going to get it. But, but again, you, you need to see the uh, irony of the religious the religious leaders who are supposed to be upholding the law. Let's, let's just go with the top ten, forget the other six or seven hundred they added. And I'm pretty sure one of the top ten was thou shalt not kill. And they want to, they want to kill Jesus. They have no, that, that's what they're all about. And, and the reason that they fear him is because the crowd is amazed at his teaching. Guess who they're afraid of? They're afraid of the crowd. They're afraid of what the people think, popular opinion. And, and that's a big deal. And you'll see how that goes in a little bit. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you the authority to do this? And Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask them, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people, for everyone held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay, so pretty interesting chapter. Some interesting things are taking place as we, uh, as we look through um, this chapter. And, and again, we, we focus on the mission of the Messiah. And, and these little stories bring it to uh, sort of a light and uh, right to the point in the process. Now, uh, in the first 11 verses, what's recorded there is what we normally call the triumphal entry. Palm Sunday um, is when we, we celebrate this, uh, this whole process of, of what's taking place. And Jesus rides in on a colt in fulfillment of uh, a prophecy that's recorded in Zechariah 9.9. If you want to go back and look at it, write it down. Look it up. Zechariah 9.9. And, and in this way, in fulfillment of this prophecy, Jesus prevents, presents himself as the promised Messiah that Israel has been waiting for. And the crowds recognize him as Messiah, and, and they demonstrate this by, by, as they lay their branches down, by saying, He who comes in the name of the Lord. They're quoting from a psalm that was part of this, this Messiah psalm, when he would come at this moment, at this time, the crowds are recognizing that Jesus is indeed Messiah who's promised and has been promised to come. So that's the setting. 
and he enters Jerusalem. Now, when he comes in and he makes this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, um, he gets there late in the day. The, the Bible says that he looks around at everything, and then he leaves. And he goes off. And they go to Bethany with the disciples. And they're going to come back the next day. Now, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, one of the things you need to see is that where he goes, even on that day, is the first thing and the first place that he goes is to the temple. Why is that important? Well, see, this is where the people already are going to start to get a little off track because remember the dynamic is that the, the people of Israel are waiting for a Messiah who will come and free them from Roman oppression and restore the kingdom of Israel to its state at the time of David. That's what they're looking for. At, at when David was king, Israel flourished and, and nobody messed with Israel. And, and they were the top of the tops uh, of everything. And, and this is what the people are waiting for. And they, they see Jesus as Messiah at this point. And they're waiting and expecting political overthrow. That's what they're expecting to happen. But Jesus goes to the temple. He doesn't go to the palace of Herod. He doesn't go to where the, the Roman authority is. He goes to the temple. Why? Because he hasn't come in this first coming to, to do what they're waiting for. He's got to come to pay for sin. In this coming, in the first coming, he came as a lamb and offered himself as the lamb of life, as the lamb of God, as the one who would make a way, as the, as the Passover lamb, as the, as the bread of life. He came and offered himself in this way the first time. When he comes back, he comes back as the lion. And he sets everything right. But this time he came as the lamb. So know that's why the people turn on him. Because it happens in a week. In a week's time. Five days. The, the crowd will have shifted to the point where they go along with the ones who wanted to kill him and say, go ahead. Because they think he can't be the one that they've been waiting for. Because the one that they've been waiting for would have gone over and attacked in a political way and overthrown the entire system and begun the process, and he doesn't. And so, because they're so set in their paradigm that this is what's going to happen when Jesus comes, they miss it. See, it's very tempting. We all, we get God in, all of us do it. We get God in our little boxes, and God don't live in a box. We'd like Him to live in our box, because if we could get Him in a box, then we could control Him somehow, and we can't. And so... Everybody misses this. Even the disciples are still struggling with this concept. And no, they've been hanging out with Jesus now three years, and he's told them, I have to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to arrest me, and they're going to kill me, or I'm going to raise again. Not a clue as to what that means. And, and they've, they've quit saying anything, because when Peter told them to quit talking like that, he got rebuked real bad, and he didn't like it. Get behind me, Satan. That couldn't have been fun. And the other guys saw it. It's not that they weren't still thinking it. Don't think that he got it. They've just decided, oh, we better not talk about that anymore. Whoop. But they're still arguing. And we know in the background, they're still arguing amongst themselves. Who's going to be, okay, who's the top guy? This is it. We're getting real close. 
and we're still fighting amongst ourselves because they want the best seats. And Jesus is, you know, and they know who he is and he's Messiah. And, and their paradigm is he's going to set everything back right. The kingdom of Israel, can you believe it's happening in our time? This is so great. And, and you know, so he keeps saying this weird stuff about dying. Just forget that. And, and uh, it's all good. Because how can he die? Because we've seen what he can do. And they, you, you kind of know they've been talking about that. They've seen thousands fed on a, on a few fish sandwiches twice. They've, they've watched people come back from the dead. They've seen the, the healed sick, the, 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 the blind see, the lame walk over and over again. Not only have they seen it, they've gone out and done it themselves. The, the, the demon possessed set free. The, and and this, is, this is Jesus, Messiah. He's, they, they've talked. They know who he is. And this is the big time. It's the, he just got on the colt and rode in and fulfilling prophecy. It's all coming to pass now. Not how it's going to work. And they, they don't get it. To the point where in five days, they'll all leave him. Do you get it? In the next five days, everyone, most will turn. Some will just leave. Because it, he, he has so not done what they expected him to do. And this is the, the lead-up to the whole process. So Jesus, in, in this time and in this event, he's concerned about the faith of Israel as a people of God, not the fate of the nation of Israel. Total different deal. And, and he, he keeps coming to, to let them know the mission and the ministry and the message of what's happening. So he looks around. He leaves for the night. Tomorrow he's going to really shake things up. And out they go. And so they come back in the next day. And in verses 12 through 26, these two events happen that are interlinked. And it's got to do with the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple. And these two events are linked together. And so I want to talk about them as, as to what they mean. Now, um, uh, on the way back in, Jesus sees a fig tree in leaf, and, and he walks up to it. And the, the, the tree, even if it wasn't producing figs yet, should have been producing fruit. And he gets up to it, and it's a gorgeous-looking, beautiful tree. And when he gets there, nothing. No fruit. And he, and he curses it, in effect. And he says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And then he proceeds into Jerusalem. And as he gets into the temple, he begins driving out those that are buying and selling there. And after he chased them out, he begins to teach from the Old Testament. And he says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And yet the religious leaders had turned the temple into a den of robbers. Now, how are these stories linked? Here's what happened. The fig tree in the story represents Israel. And Israel... As, as God's chosen people, we've talked about what that means to be chosen. They were chosen for a ministry, which was to tell everyone that there's a God who loves them and, and that in the process, the fruit that they should produce was a fruit of justice and righteousness. And it's described, if you want to go and read it, in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7. Write it down. Go and look it up. The, 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 the children of Israel, the people of Israel, uh, chosen and blessed by God, uh, were to produce the fruits of justice and righteousness. But just like the fig tree, they had this ornate look from the outside. 
but nothing on the inside. They had the outward appearance of righteousness and holiness, but it was a false or a self-righteousness and holiness produced from these rules and laws. But it wasn't the true righteousness and holiness of God. It wasn't the, the righteousness and justice that should have been produced in relationship with a loving, grace-filled God. And they'd missed it. And, and so, um, just like the fig tree, no one would, would be able to eat from the fruit that doesn't exist from Israel. It wasn't there. It should have been produced, and it wasn't produced. How does this link to the incident at the temple? Rather than producing the fruit of, of justice and righteousness, they had been, become concerned only with themselves and with money to the point of robbing from the very people they were supposed to be showing the love and the grace and the mercy of the living God to. Because you could only come to the temple. We've already seen in, in, in our studies that if you were sick, you couldn't come into the temple. If you had any sort of uh, disease, you were considered unclean or any, you could not come into the temple. And if you, if you didn't have money to purchase the appropriate sacrifice from the people inside the temple, you couldn't even come in and offer a sacrifice. They, they, they'd shut you out. There was no way even to deal with it. If you wanted to deal with sin, you couldn't. You couldn't get there unless you had the cash. And, and, and they were the ones judging the, this whole process. It, it, they'd lost the idea of people's hearts, of, of how important it was for relationship with God. And they made it so you couldn't get to God. They had, they had been, become the complete opposite of what their mission was, of what they'd been chosen to do. And so Jesus' mission is to come and to undo it all. That's why he goes to the temple. And that's why he chases them all out. And that's why he cleanses it. And that's why he says, I'm here. And that's why he begins to pray for people in that process and they can come to him there. Because that's how it was always supposed to be. And, and so he has to change this entire deal. And, and, and so he does. And, and by the next morning, the fig tree had withered away, which foreshadows Jesus exposing the deadness of Israel's religion. Because that's what it was. He was dead. God wasn't in it. You, you, you can't have relationship with God following the rules. He's not in the rules. He's in grace. He's in mercy. He's in life. He's in faith. That's where God is. You meet God in the adventure. You meet God in the process. We go out and sin? Of course not. That's not what we're supposed to do. Do we? Yeah, we all do. But, but in, in response to the love of God, we, we, we do what's right. We keep going. And when we don't do what's right, because he loves us, we get that it's not right, and we want to. And see, it's that process of grace and mercy, mercy that moves us along. Just make it about a bunch of rules. We'll, we'll take the rules that we like to follow, and we'll judge people that don't follow them, and we'll ignore the rules we don't like to follow. And we'll, we'll get incensed if anybody judges us for those. You, all, you, all the laws that are out there, you pick and choose the ones you like. You, you absolutely do. We all do it. That's what laws are. Oh, I can cheat on that one a little. No, that's only for certain people. They don't really mean that for me. That's for the people that need that particular law. We all do it. And you can't get there following the law. You can't get there. Because it just makes you bitter and critical and judgmental. Because if, you, if, you, if you're doing your best to follow the law and you see somebody not doing it, you, you know what you do? You get mad at them. 
And then you think, well, if they don't have to do it, why do I have to do it? And the next thing we know, we have bigger and bigger problems. That happens if that's how you're trying to follow God. And so this group sets up these rules for following God, and this group sets up these rules for following God, and so this group's always judging that group because they're following different rules, and this group's judging that group, and they can't get together on anything because, well, you, you do this. We never do that. And they go, well, yeah, but you do this, and we don't do that. And, and the Pharisees had made it worse. Jesus says it's not what it's all about, guys. Please. Faith. Grace. The love of God. Relationship with a living God. That's what it's all about. So they, they all see that the fig tree is withered, and they, they, Peter says, well, you cursed it. It died. And Jesus begins to talk about faith. It's a great thing. And he says, look, it's faith. And what he's talking about ultimately is it's faith in God. And if you have faith in God, anything is possible. If you're living a life of faith in God, anything is possible. And he, and he makes a point where well, you could even say to this mountain, be moved. Now, Here's the, what I think is the precursor to that. If God tells you, say to the mountain, it'll be moved because there's a mountain in the way of something that he's got you doing, that mountain will go. But you just can't go around picking out mountains. Because <laughs> some people read that and go, well, it's a, I, I don't care for that mountain. Watch this. Be gone. Nothing happened. You don't have enough faith. It's, and so when he says, look, in prayer, what you ask for in prayer, what does that mean? Well, again, in prayer, we'd be connected with God, right? And, and our, our prayers then would be centered in the will of God. And when your prayers are centered in the will of God and you believe that, that he's moving you in that direction and you have faith for it, things happen. Does that mean we can muster up faith and make anything happen? No, that's not what it means. The will of God, all in context. But that's what he's telling me. And he, so he's, he's teaching them in that whole story with the fig tree and the withering and, and why he moves right into faith is look it's it's all about faith in god it's faith in god it's not trying to follow rules and religions this is what happens the withered fig tree is a picture of a life following rules and regulations but a life of faith in god is a it's a life of adventure a life of promise and hope and that's what he's trying to teach his disciples in that little process and so, and then he goes on, and he, he because he, he has this thing about forgiveness. Look, look, relationship is it, it, worked out vertically with God, but horizontally we work it out here. And I've told you over and over again, it's forgiveness, right? We have to be forgiven constantly, and so we always need to be extending forgiveness. And it's in this whole process of receiving, extending forgiveness that we keep from becoming bitter and judgmental and legalistic, which is where we'll go the moment we get away from it. That's what you become. And, and again, I, you know, I've said to you, it's one of those things I ask God all the time. God, don't let me, please show me wherever I'm becoming a Pharisee. And, and there's lots of situations where it's happened. I know for a fact that I've become just like a Pharisee. I'm like, God, I don't want to be a Pharisee. I, I want your heart. I want your take. Does that mean there's no standard? Well, of course not. It just means I don't want to become bent on, on thinking that I got it figured out. And somehow miss God in the process. And become just like the Pharisees. So we look at it all the time in the process. Then the last little story in verses 27 through 33 is about authority. And, and when, the, when the Pharisees come and ask him by what authority is Jesus doing these things, they're referring to him cleansing the temple. That was not good for business. <laughs> Understand there were quite a few of them that got hit in the pocketbook 
in those few days and they were not happy. And, and the ones who got kicked out were going to the ones that they thought were in charge and saying, hey, this crazy guy came in and he, he routed us out and now there's other people in there. No one's buying our stuff anymore and you're not getting your cut. We better go and stop this. And so you go to Jesus. And, and so the, the religious leaders, these should be the ones with authority, the, the, the ones who, who made sure that, that what was supposed to happen was happening uh, as far as the things of God go. And they go to Jesus and they say, well, by whose authority? Do you, who do you think you are? Okay, reasonable question. I'll tell you what. You answer a question for me, I'll answer a question for you. Okay, great. These are the authority. And so Jesus asked them a good question. John's baptism, whose was it from? God? Well, from men. Well, if they were truly the authorities of God, they would be able to come up with an answer. Guess what? They can't. Do you know why they can't? They're afraid of the people. Any, any religion that exists driven by the fear of the people is not good. That's all they cared about. They're standing with the people. And so they're, they're, the, the authority of Israel, the religious leaders of Israel, come up with this fascinating answer for Jesus. I don't know. So Jesus, okay, well, then I ain't going to tell you anything. That was simple. If you can't answer that, you don't need to know. And, and he, he demonstrates that, that the faith of, of Israel in, in Jesus' day is futile because it had exchanged the authority of God and his word for human opinion. Let me say that again. The faith of the people of Israel had become futile because they had exchanged the authority of God and the Word of God for mere human opinion. That seems like a similar time. I think we've done it here. People put way more weight on opinion than they do on the Word of God. We have to be very careful because of these times. And, and in our own lives, always, making sure that, that we're placing our faith, our hope, our trust in God and His Word and not in just because, well, now the culture says this is what you're supposed to do. There's, there's no life there. So, that's Mark chapter 11. And uh, pretty exciting stuff. And, and it keeps getting better and better. All right, so, uh, Mark 11 this week. Guess what's coming next week? Mark 12, very good. You guys have caught on. And I'm very, very pleased with the process. Okay. Um, somebody going to shut off upstairs? Is anybody up there? Thank you uh, for watching. If, uh, if you guys in Williston, Scott, Pam, everybody, hi. Um, Scott and Pam will pray for you up there. And if you're watching on the Internet, thanks for watching. If you need prayer from there, just call us, write us, email us, do something. We'll, we'll get in touch with you. And um, we're going to go ahead and close with uh, a prayer here. So thanks for watching. Thanks for being here. Okay, prayer requests, if you have them. Please pass them up and we will pray for you and then we'll call it an evening.